With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. No, no, Stu, Stu, Stu. What's your motive? And now on Blog Talk Radio, you're listening to Wine Talk with Stu the Wine Guru. Welcome to Wine Talk, now on its new day and time slot today, Wednesday, December 2nd at 7 p.m. Eastern. I'm your host, Stu the Wine Guru, coming to you live from sunny Coral Springs, Florida, as I always do. Tonight's show is sponsored by Marquee Artisan Wines. The Marquee Classic Series from Marquee Artisan Wines. A premium collection of sophisticated, high-quality Australian wines. Marquee Classic Chardonnay. Marquee Classic Riesling. Marquee Classic Shiraz, and Marquee Classic GSM. Look for Marquee Artisan Wines at your local wine retailer. As you know, I'll take your calls anytime during the show at 1-646-381-4860 or email me your questions at info at stewthewineguru.com. I want to say thanks to all the listeners out there for getting the word out about my show. Welcome to all of you listening worldwide. I call that the power of the people meets the power of the Internet. If you want to find out more about me, just Google Stu the Wine Guru. You can find the websites, videos, articles, and shows I'm currently part of. Speaking of articles and reviews, I'm writing wine articles and reviews for Yahoo and the examiners, so look for those as well. I have also Wine 101 series of videos that can be viewed on both YouTube or my website, so check those out. All right, let's talk wine. We've got a fantastic show for you tonight. My special guest will be Chris Cribb of Marquee Artisan Wines. They produce great value-priced wines from Australia, Argentina, Spain, Portugal, Italy, and California. Kind of something for everybody. I'll have him on shortly. So call in and ask any questions you would like about his wines, vineyards, and the history of the company. Of course, the number to call in, one 646 381-4860 or email me your questions at info at stewthewineguru.com. You can 
do that for Chris as well. Later in the show, my question of the is, when you shop for wine, do you shop at the local wine retailer, online, or both? So get ready on the phone, get your fingers on the keyboard, and weigh in on that one. We'll talk about some industry updates in my segment called Heard It Through the Grapevine. After that, I'll give you my review of great value-priced wines. Today's wine is a great value from Napa Valley in around $30. So you'll want to stick around for that one. I'll make some red and white wine recommendations in my segment, Stu's Pick of the Week. Also, my new segment, starting on tonight's show, I'll be making restaurant pick of the week as well. So when you travel, I'll have a spot for you to go to that offers great food and great wine as well. So stay tuned for that. So since this, since this is reaching a worldwide audience, I have expanded the scope of wine festivals and events to accommodate the world travelers out there. So stick around for my recommendations on where to go for wine and fun all around the world. All right. Let's see. But first, my special guest tonight, Marquis Artisan Wines in Kansas City, Missouri. Please welcome everybody. Chris Cribb. Can you hear me, Chris? I can. You there, Chris? Oh, fantastic. Well, great to have you here. Um, I wanted to thank you and Marky Artisan Wines for sponsoring the show, and also want you, if you would, to enlighten listeners as to what it's all about. So tell us a little bit about Marky Artisan Wines. Well, Stu, thanks very much for uh, allowing us to be on the show today, and uh, glad to hear you've got a few changes uh, and new things going on with your format. Um, Oh, I am. Uh, I'm the head of uh, Marquee Artisan Wines, uh, Marquee Selections. We're a uh, wine import company that uh, has been operating uh, in the U.S. for about uh, nine years now, and uh, I joined the team uh, from the start uh, as one of the first uh, first people putting together the business plan. And what we've set out to do is to put as many great value products as we can. And when I think of great value, I think of what I go and buy when I go to the wine store, and that's usually stuff between, uh, you know, ten and twenty-five dollars uh, together right. in a small portfolio that um, focuses on, um, you know, bang for your buck, uh, good value price, and going to different regions throughout the world to to find that. So we've um, <clears throat> we've focused in on and started our business uh, with uh, a great winemaking tradition out of Australia. And yes. in the last uh, few years, we've expanded from Australia to move into places that I think are the, the most strategic, uh, strategic long-term um, growth areas for that value. And that includes Argentina, um, going into uh, Portugal and Spain, and most recently into uh, California and Italy. So Yes, I noticed. I think that's fantastic. So that's, um, that's a little bit about kind of where we've gotten started. Um, you know, we have a, a footprint that what I consider is we're, we're a small company that's really doing big things. Uh, we uh, <clears throat> we produce and import about 25,000 cases a year, and okay. you know, from a uh, from a standpoint of where does that land on the uh, the bigger scale of things, you know, that's probably about what some of the uh, the huge outfits down in Australia spill per year, but. Um, it's also on a, uh, on a standpoint of what smaller independent producers, um, we're, we're taking all of the production from some of our produ producers throughout the world 
And it's all just based on finding uh, things that I've found that, uh, you know, that are a great value for the money. Yeah, you seem to have, you know, it, it kind of, what's nice about it, again, a variety of different wine producers, uh, it's rare that they have the scope and the breadth that you guys have. It's kind of a nice, broad uh, brushstroke from a variety of different countries. Usually what, what you find is uh, a focused, a more unifocal approach where people will just, uh, you know, wine producers will just stick to a region where they feel most. But I see, you know, and, and, and from what I've tasted, I want to let everybody know I've tasted the wines and they're outstanding. They're great, great values. Um, you seem to really, you know, stretch it out and, um, and, and make really good um, indigenous to those region wines. Uh, for, and for the money, and I, I'll let you know. I mean, as well, I'm, I'm looking at um, for everyone out there, the wines range from the let's say uh, $12 range or $10 range, um, and, and really no higher than the $25 range. Which, if you listen to the show fairly often, I, I talk about great value price wines, and I, I kind of put it between let's say the you know the, the $10 and $30 or $40. So you're right within that range. It's real nice. Um, you know, I wanted to ask, as far as the, the uh, Italian wines, uh, how did you get the um, affiliation um, with the Italian producer you did, uh, the, the uh, Quattro Leone wines in Piedmont? How did that work? Sure, sure. Um, I, have, um, I have my home base out of Kansas City, Missouri, and uh, yes. I have a partner here that, um, that is a former, uh, former Harvard MBA that uh, was actually out visiting uh, some of his old colleagues in Italy, and he happened mm-hmm. to um, to stay with the uh, the Marchese um, uh, Giacomo Catania in his in his villa in Piedmont, Italy. And yes. my uh, my winemaker from Australia is kind of a um, avant-garde person. So it, it, this is two different things going on at the same time. So I've got this person that stayed at the, this place in Italy, and then my winemaker from Australia actually was researching Nebbiolo production uh, mm-hmm. in in uh, the Barolo region uh, to bring down to Australia to produce in Australia. So something okay. completely different and something you're <laughs> off the wall a little bit. But um, bringing those two together, um, I was able to um, you know start to to research and to meet. Um, Giacomo Catania, the uh, the head winemaker and owner of Castello di Gabbiano, and yes. we decided that um, after looking at what they were doing, um, as opposed to going into the Barolo Nebbiolo route, uh, they just had this absolutely beautiful um, white and red wines, a uh, a blend of Chardonnay, Sauvignon Blanc, and Cortese, the white wine, and then a um, and then a red wine that was 100% Barbera that we felt like would just be perfect uh, table wines that, to fall into that value price point. Uh, my, yes. my winemaker from Australia brought back um, probably 25 other opportunities for us, and we looked at all of those as well. And, um, you know, each time we try to import something, we, we try to do that. We try to make sure that that wine not only is what we consider the most you know, strategic, but also beats out its competition from the region. And mm. um, and the uh, the Quattro Leone wines did, and so therefore we decided to um, to start the import and uh, just recently launched um, launched our working with Quattro Leone at the uh, Miami Wine Fair a few months back down in uh, your neck of the woods. Yes, 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 absolutely. 
In fact, um, I have, it looks like I have a caller that's calling in here from, um, this is an international call. You, you want to take something here, Chris? Sure, no problem. Want to field the question? Okay, okay, let's see what we got here. Um, let's see. Yes, my name is Drake. I'm calling from London. My question is for Chris. Chris, do you think organic wines taste better than non-organic wines? I will take your answer offline. Thanks. Cheers to both of you. Oh, thank you. Okay. Sure, sure. That was uh, Drake. Okay. Thanks, well, Drake. Drake I, um, you know, I, we have definitely, as a company, done a uh, large focus on organic wines. And my particular, my particular take on organic wines is, number one, that the, the ability to do less in the vineyard or to take a minimalist approach, if you will, by not using um, pesticides or herbicides to allow it to grow just as it, as it would um, and, and use a few different types of things like um, hormone traps to, um, to bring in people to bring in and um, work with bugs in the vineyard, allow the vines and the, the wines themselves to <clears throat> just be a little cleaner, um, a little uh, less mass-produced. So right. to, to answer directly to the question, I don't think that organic wines are necessarily better tasting always than, than their um, non-organic counterparts. I, I mean... I have many wines that are in our portfolio, but I think that they do allow a winemaker to give a very true expression of the the way the vineyard tastes. And right. you know, if you have a vineyard that you want to showcase, that's a great thing. You know, in a lot of parts of the world, there's also you know they they go more into blending. You know, say we're in Bordeaux, mm-hmm. and um, Bordeaux blends um, don't necessarily are are more are usually a better mix at the end because of the counterparts that you put in there. Um, but what I see in the organic world is um, a lot of people also um, don't necessarily get quite so far into, um, they don't necessarily even say that they're, they're organic because they have they worry that they, um, they might need to do something if a catastrophe happens in their winery. Oh, sure. Absolutely. A lot of people don't think about that. I'm sure that um, Stu, you've seen you know wines like Frog's Leap or something like that that um, is is a great internationally known brand, but and it's an organic yes. brand, but you don't see it on the label because they worry that in their California environment they might have to do something to control mildew one year. Uh, right. Well, but, the biodynamic label basically, or you know, if you look at like that um, uh, Gergich, uh, a variety. Of, there's a variety of different. Um, Montera and so forth in California that are uh, biodynamic. I think, you know, if you look at the concept of doing so in making wine in that fashion, it, it kind of makes sense. I think what what people were a little scared, I say people, I mean winemakers were a little scared of. If you think about it, going back to the ages when wine was originally made, obviously there are no pesticides or anything else, so things were organically grown and made that way. The problem was it, it didn't stay. The, the the wine didn't stay long. It it, it just you know, um, it was it didn't it didn't um, it didn't give the, the end user that satisfaction for a long period of time. So I I think now with the modern and the capability of uh, in agriculture and viticulture of making wine and the advancements, we have a much better product. And taste wise, you know I'll I'll I put up 
one versus the other. I put a non-organic and an organic. organic. And I've, I've had people do, you know, blind taste tests along with myself. Um, you know, there is a difference in the taste. If you're, you know, if, you, if your palate is, is trained, there definitely is a difference in the taste. And even untrained it is. However, uh, you have to think of, you know, what you're accomplishing for the land and uh, the vineyard and, uh, and everything else surrounding it um, and part of it. Uh, and, and the benefit, I think, all the way around as to uh, as to the, the the wine being produced. So I think it's you know, there's a there's a, a, a kind of a, a total approach to it that um, I think for the people that are doing it definitely appreciate it, and I think the uh, consumers do. Um, and in fact, I, I, you know, I, I think one of the ahead, things that if if I were to ask that same question to my winemaker Gustavo Calajori down in uh, Argentina, um, and and I have, and his his real take on it is that. Um, number one, he, he's being a shepherd to bring his old vine fruit into the winery, and because he's established himself with these, you know, 100% organic uh, viticulture practices in his vineyards and in his winery, um, he feels like he's able to give the the best expression of the fruit. Uh, but number right. two, you know, I think to your point just a second ago, in the last. 20 years, there has been a um, a real cleaning up of a lot of wineries that, and their winery winemaking practices, by a lot, you know, by almost you know technology and science, so that you know the the winemaking that you had and the organic wines that you had 10 years ago are not the same as the ones you have now. Because Not at all. you know they're cleaner. There's less oxygen that gets in them, so they they do last a little bit longer. And they most of them um, do have um, less sulfites, which I don't know which way I fall on that. I, I usually fall on the side of you know some, some people say sulfites give you headaches. I, I usually fall on the side that more sulfites it's the histamines in in, in wine that give you can get can get exactly headaches. exactly. Uh, I agree. Right. I, you know, there's the scientific studies that are done. I've, I've done it on my show. I've talked about it. Uh, you know, I think it's people's reaction to wine in general. So uh, what I wanted to let you know is that we have a call here from the 702 area code. Hold on one second. Let me get them on here. Want to take another question? Sure, no problem. Hold on. Hi, my name is... Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. I hear you. Okay. Um, your name and where are you calling from? Uh, Vegas. Las Vegas. Oh, okay. Hey, Vegas. All right. Hey, Chris, you got somebody from Vegas here. Okay. Hey. Pick hey, a winner. Doing, doing very well. What's on your mind tonight? Um, I wanted to ask you, um, of the wines that you produce, which is the toughest region to produce wine in? Toughest region to produce wine in. Well, you know, each region that, that I bring wines in from and, and produce wines from seem to have their own own thing that's like the, the biggest calamity that it can be. Um, for example, uh, in the last um, in the last three years, I've had my vineyards down in Australia uh, working through drought, and in in addition to drought, um, there were some horrific bushfires in the uh, Victoria region of Australia in 2000, um, 2009, early in the year. And, you know, the, so what do we worry about down there? We worry about the fires. We worry about, you know, the lack of water and drought. And so it yeah. it becomes a um, uh, a thing that you, that you have to work with on every vintage. 
on the flip side, over in Argentina, um, in my 2008 vintage, we had um, horrible hailstorms that came over the top of the Andes Mountains into Mendoza and ripped out um, and almost destroyed uh, most of the uh, Syrah crop we did for the 2008 vintage. So, yeah, wow. you know, so for each for each region, I seem to find that there's you know one indigenous thing. You know, up in I don't I don't actually produce much wine up in. Uh, uh, in the U.S., but uh, yeah, I know in northern U.S. they worry about frost. You know, early frost can wipe out a, right, a vintage very easily. Um, the um, the thing that's kind of a the same about a lot of the vineyards that I work with is that most of them are a little higher elevation, um, which means that they're a little cooler climate. And uh, you know, if I were to go, which one is probably the hardest? The um, the one that when I'm actually standing in the vineyard and I go, okay, this this looks like these vines take a lot to be able to produce, is uh, is over in Yecla, Spain, uh, where we do Bodegas La Parisma. Uh, in in this vineyard, all of the wine, um, all the vines are actually spread about two and a half meters apart. So, you know, you look at it's a small little bush vine, and it needs that much space to be able to go that far down. Um, in in its root system to be able to get enough water. We don't do any irrigation, any of that. Um, but uh, and and each year the um, the take out of the vineyard is less than um, um, two thousand per hectare. So it's just small right. small production. Oh, so well, I hope that kind of. I have to say that was. Good. I'm sorry, Chris. I I, you know, I know that kind of goes into some other areas, but you know that's. Each one of them seems to have their own, their own thing you got to worry like about. Both problems, sort of, whatever, right? Right. Yeah. Oh, that, I have to tell you, Justin, that was a great question. I really, I really I have to tell you, you know, because uh, a lot of people, um, you know, when they think about, it, they just make the assumption that wine is produced and you know comes from the vineyard, and you know they open it up, and all their concern is is to drink the wine and enjoy it. But uh, you know, to take the time to try to figure out, uh, especially when you have, like I said earlier in the show, that breadth of product for regions, uh, certainly as Chris, you were just talking about, they all have their uh, their different issues in uh, in growing you know growing the grapes and uh, and producing the wine. I appreciate it. Thank, thank you, Justin. Oh. By the way, great show. By the way. Oh, great. Thank you so much, Justin. Appreciate it. Yes. All right. Yes. Well, thank you for being okay. on with us there tonight. Okay. Thanks a lot. Okay. Thanks again, Justin. Have a good one. Okay. So, uh, let's see. Yeah, so getting moving on to a, look, a couple of things I wanted to know as well. We, you were mentioning um, the Caligiore, uh, the Reserve, the Bernarda. You know, that's an interesting... Um, Varietal, because you don't find many producers uh, putting out Bernarda. Um, more so, I'd say nationally. You know, you find it like when you travel. Of course, you do find it. It's easier to, easier to find, especially in Argentina. Of course, it, it's it's um, accessible. But I, I was looking at that, and, and you know, it, having the the Malbec and the Syrah, especially Syrah. That's another grape that you don't, and a varietal that you don't find from. Uh, Argentina, you tend to find. Yeah, that's why I wanted to ask about them in, in picking that particular varietal, uh, as well as the Bernarda, and making that accessible. What sure. uh, well, what was the what was the theory on that? The the one thing that um, that I, my first foray into Argentina was um, very similar to 
how we kind of looked at um, Italy, you know, I actually went down for a week and looked through a number of um, vineyards, about 30 interviews with the different people before we started working with the Calajori vineyards. And what I found um, was, number one, on the um, the varietal side, a lot of this Bonardo, Syrah, and Cabernet, which we don't do um, as a straight varietal, but we do do as a part of a blend with our Malbec yes. on the uh, staccato, um, all right. were, for a number of years, just kind of lumped into the um, lumped into what was the Argentinian red blend, and um, and you know as, as the growth of Malbec in the United States uh, has been soaring, and other places in the world too, but in the United States in particular, it, it is actually probably the hottest red grape out there and um, is going against all the trends for anything that's down in the economy. But um, but as they started to you know focus in on the Malbec grape, uh, a lot of the other smaller vineyards you know did the science and did took the time to be able to figure out um, and start to vinify these other products, the Syrah, the Bernarda, by themselves. And you know the story I of Bernarda um, that I I take to. I've heard a couple different stories, but. Um, is that uh, Bernarda is actually the same clone um, or the same grape as uh, a grape that's grown in California called Charbono, and mm-hmm. it it um, it has a just a nice rich flavor to it, but less of the tannins, a little bit more of that red fruit than the the dark fruit you get it in the black fruits I think of in Malbec, and so when right. you know when we were looking at um, you know bringing that in, you know we said look we we don't necessarily want to um, compete against ourselves, but this wine is different. It's lighter, and what I found down in Argentina was that they um, specifically in their flights and their dinners, number one, if you go down to Argentina, go, because it's an absolutely beautiful place, and your your dollar goes a long way. Uh, but number two, um, they they do these um, these dinners that include uh, four, five, six courses of different types of meats, and right. the the Bernarda was the one that was um, served right after the you know you kind of have a an aperitif at the first um, with a, with a light white, a Sauvignon Blanc, or a Tarantus, and then they got into um, the Bernarda as something that went with like the the salads that also had meat on them. So <laughs> right, every, everything was was beef, beef, beef. <laughs> everything had meat on it. Yeah. So they had to have something that kind of went with it. Yeah, just just a little bit lighter. And so, you know, that's when we said we want to be um, on the front end, on the, the front um, of what we think is, is a unique new varietal that um, is probably going to grow in, in steam over the next couple of years. We said, all right, Gustavo, down in, you know, our vineyards down there, let's go ahead and we'll just vinify this one by itself, you know, show it off by itself because it is different from Malbec, and, um, and we've done really well with it. Syrah, kind of the same thing. Um, just yes. uh, both of the vineyards we have are both uh, over thirty-year-old vineyards, so the grapes have been there for a long time, and they just have a nice expression of fruit. Yeah, I was going to say I think you're a thousand percent correct. In fact, you know people have been talking about Malbec uh, for a while, and and my theory on the Malbec is is the Malbec is to the U.S. market now. Uh, well, I'm going to say in about maybe five years or so 
what the Merlot was about 15 or 20 years ago when it first <laughs> really started. To, I really think it's just going to... I hope not, because I'm selling a lot of it these days, but... <laughs> no, no, I meant it's growing in popularity. I think it's actually going to grow. Uh, what I was, was trying to get at is that, you know, Merlot is kind of um, solidified and cemented in, in, in people's drinking uh, choices on a regular basis. Uh, I've seen it day in, day out. People love Merlot, and, you know, there's a lot to choose from. Um, but I think it started out kind of, and I, and I use this term very, 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 very loosely, like the bastardized grape or the, you know, stepbrother. You know, I, again, I use that. Don't, don't, don't sure. send me emails. But you know, it was it was kind of that great for a while under you know the under the uh, you know the um, under the foot of the Cabernet Sauvignon, which of course is still grapes. And I, I think it really, really came uh, you know out and became a really, really good grape by itself, not one you know in, in a Bordeaux blend per se. But by itself, over the past 15 or 20 years, it took really for that, that amount of time. And I mean, and it's still something that consistently sells. If you look at probably you would see Gab, of course, being the first top-selling grape, and probably right under that would be Merlot, um, yep. you know, of red. Of red. So I, I, I think that's a, a compliment to uh, the Mendoza Valley uh, and Mendoza growing um, and wine producers. And, and and Chilean, of course, that are are making the the Malbec, uh, and and I think also the one thing you'll see about that is that people will not, you know, immediately raise the prices <laughs> like everybody does as soon as they get you know the cachet, and as soon as people are out there buying buying it, and they see the the uptick of maybe you know from let's say ten thousand cases to thirty or forty. You know, immediately they go, oh, okay, now I can, I can. Up. But I don't think they're gonna. I don't think that's gonna happen. I think that's the beauty of uh, the growing region uh, for Malbec. So I think I think you're gonna see that over the next couple of years. And I, ha- and I was gonna say the Syrah is just a, it's kind of a nice thing to see an o- an offering of a Syrah, especially reserve from Argentina. It's it's kind of like I was saying before, it's kind of unheard of, and it's nice. It's actually uh, it's a, it's a great addition to your to your profile here. The other thing I was going to also um, kind of chime in about was, as I was noticing uh, all the wines that you that you offer, um, the Australian wines. I just wanted to kind of you know tail back into that for a second. Uh, there is a a nice uh, variety and uh, a good amount of uh, Australian wines, and I guess that's because of the fact that you initially started out with Australian wines. Um, so, so uh, to distinguish between, you have the signature series, which I guess are the, uh, you know, of course, the, a little nicer to step up per se from from the other, the classy and and, and so forth. And um, you know, typically they do uh, in Australia they do like the Shiraz Cab, which you have the Seduction, which is the Shiraz Cab. I, I wanted to just get an idea um, where you you, know, you went with uh, in coming out with the signature and what was the the idea behind it, and, and, and did you was it just solely to have a a premium um, wine available? Or was there something behind that? No, you know we we took we took two different routes um, that I think are are different from the traditional uh, wine company. When when we started the business, you know we looked at the the entry level group of wines from most wineries out of Australia was a um, was a Chardonnay, a Shiraz, a Merlot, and a Cabernet. And right. you know, we said, no, we don't necessarily want to do that. We, we, I'm not 
someone to to say that we didn't want to buck the trends. Chardonnay still is the biggest uh, white wine, you know, that's drunk and drank in the uh, in the United States. But um, you know, we said, okay, from our entry level standpoint, you know, we wanted to add a couple things that are unique to Australia, and uh, we focused in. We 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 do the Chardonnay and the Shiraz. And both of those are cool climate from the region of Victoria. So they're from one specific state. They're not from all across all of Australia. And uh, most of them actually are single vineyard wines, but um, that's, a, that's a different story. Um, right. And then, the, um, and then we, we added in, um, I guess about five years ago, the, um, the off-dry style Riesling. Um, Australia does Riesling in a, a more austere um, less sweet style, and we went uh, right. uh, with a little hint of sweetness to it, but still very dry, not bone dry. And mm-hmm. it it's just a nice, refreshing, um, beautiful-tasting lime-infused wine. And then um, on the uh, on the red side, to complement um, what we had with the Shiraz, we went with a um, Grenache Shiraz Mouvedre blend, um, and. The three letters they use on that is a GSM uh, yes. to try to make it easier for everybody down there because <laughs> it's pretty hard to keep learning how to spell Mouvedre. <laughs> but uh, yes. the uh, the GSM blend, um, you know, every year my, my winemaker down there is named Keith Bryan, and Keith is a former pilot, and um, he actually went over to um, – to uh, Bordeaux and and then over into Burgundy to be trained in winemaking, and so he's got a lot of um, French winemaking roots. And one of his favorite wines is uh, the Rhone style red blends um, that mm-hmm. are you know from the the southern and, and northern Rhone area. And so what we end up doing is you know on our GSM from Australia, it is a a bit of the you know the the rich. Uh, flavor from Grenache, which is that rich cherry flavor, uh, right. almost into Kirsch, like a Kirsch liqueur flavor, and right. then it's combined with um, you know with some kind of bold Shiraz and some Mouvedre that's got a little bit uh, darker tannins to it, but it makes it a little bit more of a um, medium-bodied, a little lighter of a red than a heavier red like a Shiraz or you know or back to the Malbec, um, right. and it's just a, a very complex blend. Every year we switch it up a little bit. One year it was a third, a third, a third. The next it was 40 percent, um, 30 and 25, and um, it just changes every year. But um, it allows my winemaker, who's a great master blender, to mm-hmm. be able to take three diverse lots, bring them together, and make a better wine out of it. So that's yeah. I mean, so, so that's how we that's what we focus on on the classic series. So we've got you know we've got these two two wines, the Riesling and the the GSM. They're a little different, uh, but great values for the money. And then the Australian Chardonnay and Australian Shiraz that are both from Victoria and more cool climate. And then when you know when we said okay, what are we going to do besides that? We said, you know, the thing that that we found when we started looking at small producers in Australia, because we buy all of our stuff in small lots from independent people down there is that right. in each different region, Australia is a country about the size of the United States. So it literally has, and it can have, a, a depth of places that, that make different types of wine all across it, and that wine is best suited for all, 
all across it. So what we said is we're going to focus in on a few regions that we think are um, a, a single single vineyard in that specific region that does the grape that they're the most known for. And so we went to a couple of them. You know, we didn't go to the biggest ones. We didn't go to the Barossa Valley um, because there's a lot of Barossa Valley Shiraz out there. You know, so we went to the place that I find my favorite um, Shiraz in Australia is from is the McLaren Vale. And the McLaren Vale region is known for Shiraz and has a big body to it. Kind of envelops your whole mouth and coats it and then it just smooths off with a light finish. And, you know, that's... So we do a McLaren Vale Shiraz. We went to the Yarra Valley, which is just north of the city of Melbourne, where our headquarters is down in Australia. And we did a Yarra Valley Chardonnay. And that's a little cooler climate. They also make uh, some sparkling wines there. But, yeah, the, the focus in on our signature series is just these different regions. And, you know, all of our lot sizes that we do are small, um, you know, around the 500 to 1,000 cases. And each one of the um, the vintages changes just a little bit, but it focuses in on that region. So you get to know the terroir of that region. And it also, like you said, gives us, you know, a step up where my winemaker, uh, Keith, gets to work with vineyards, independent vineyards all across the um, all across the country of Australia to bring these wines in. Right. Well, I want to thank you for coming on and talking about the wines. And uh, we're going to go on to our uh, Heard It Through the Grapevine, our industry updates. If you like, if you want to stay on and listen in, that would be great. Um, that was Chris Cribb from Marquee Artisan Wines, everyone. And uh, I want you to go out to your local wine retailer and ask for the variety of different wines that you'll hear about on the rest of the show. Or you can go to www.marquee.com and order the wines as well. Chris, I really want to thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. Sure, Stu. It's been a pleasure to be on tonight. And I, I wanted to throw a quick uh, shout-out. We've got an event going on down in your neck of the woods uh, coming oh, up please on do. This, this Friday. Um, Marquis and Quattro Leone, the Italian wines from Piedmont, are uh, sponsoring the, uh, the Art Basel event at the Wolfsonian Museum on Friday yes. from uh, 8 p.m. to 11 p.m. And we'll have uh, both the uh, Barbera d'Asti and the Monfrato Bianco being poured for everyone that's going to be there. So if you're in the neighborhood, um, uh, look us up and stop by. Excellent. Everyone that heard that, if you're going to be here, do it. <laughs> I, all right, Chris. Thank you so much. Sure, have no a great problem. evening. All right. Take bye-bye. Care. Okay, on to my Heard It Through the Grapevine industry updates. From the Piedmont region of Italy comes Marchi Artisan's Italian wines, Quattro Leone Manfarato Bianco and Quattro Leone Barbara Diasti. Ask for them at your local retailer or www.marchi.com. Okay, this article is from the Napa Valley Register. The article is called Diageo in Bordeaux. It's by Dan Berger. Here's an excerpt. 
The image of great red wine aging carefully in a cellar is more a story of Bordeaux and its wine trade than any other wine in the world. And the story out of Europe last week is a possible precursor to the collapse of the entire system under which Bordeaux and all wine have lived for decades. The wire service, Agents France Press, carried a story that said Diageo, Chateau, and Estates would abandon the sale of Bordeaux wine immediately. I confirmed that story on Monday, and already I'm hearing repercussions from the wine trade of possible price in many sectors. C&E is dumping a lot of its inventory, said one former executive with the company, who was there when it was still owned by Joseph Siegerman Sons. They have millions of dollars worth of Bordeaux of various vintages, and they are liquidating everything. One source said he thought the retail value of the wine was in the $200 million Chateau and Estates has all but controlled the red Bordeaux wine business since 1974, when the company assisted the district and its distribution at a time when Bordeaux houses were suffering full sales and low prices. CME exiting the business terrible repercussions for retailers and wholesalers, and may harm the financial infrastructure of Bordeaux itself. CME is a subsidiary of British drinks giant Diageo. Okay, my thought on that. I agree wholeheartedly with the assertion that CNE, in effect, Diageo, dumping or liquidating all the Bordeaux creates a domino effect on many levels for wholesalers and retailers. It will create an uncertainty and instability in the Bordeaux market as well for French wines in general. I don't know how this is going to shake out, but I'm going to tell everybody to stay tuned because things will get interesting. Next up is from the Missourian, and it's entitled Missouri University Established an Experimental Winery by Eileen Davis. Here's an excerpt. MU has recently established an experimental winery to test grape varieties and growing practices in the state. Keith Stregler, director of the Institute for Continental Climate Viticulture and Enology, said wine at the winery will allow us to do experiments on winemaking. Equally important is the ability to know is to know is to now, excuse me, now do viticulture experiments. From the field to the final product, he said. There will be opportunities for sensory analysis, where wine tasters will evaluate how the experimental practices affected the final product. To be able to determine the impact of any practice done at a vineyard is very important, Stragler said. Until a teaching winery is built, the experimental winery will also be used to teach students interested in viticulture. My thoughts? I think that wine can truly be almost any, be made anywhere in the, in the whole world. I am the, I am for all the, the, I'm all for the expansion of viticulture everywhere. I'm confident it'll do well in Missouri, and you know, this just gives you an example of how people can make and produce wines literally anywhere. Remember, if you have any questions, I have answers, so call me at 1-646-381-4860 or email me at info at StuTheWineGuru. So now let's talk about some great value-priced wines. From Marquee Artisan Wines, Wines of Spain comes Bodegas La Purísima, Old Hands Monastrell, Old Hands Sauvignon Blanc, Trapillo Old Vines Monastrell, and an organic line from Old Hands, Sauvignon Blanc, and Monastrell.
asked for Marquee Artisan Wines, Old Hands, and Trapillo at your local wine retailer. So every week I choose a red and white wine that I recommend for the weekend or for any occasion. This week's red is a 2006 Charles Crew Cabernet Sauvignon. This is a blend cab. It's 85% Cabernet, 6% Petit Verdot, 3% Syrah, 2% Malbec, 2% Cabernet Franc, 1% Petit Syrah, below. Wine Spectator rated this 91 points. I agree on this one. Notes on this are cocoa and licorice with long tannins. This is great red for any occasion. Average price you'll find it for about $24. My white wine pick of the week is a 2007 Comentini Pinot Grigio. It's a light, crisp Italian Pinot Grigio with aromas of huntable. This is great for fish or chicken, and you should be able to find it for $14. Marquee Artisan Wines, California Series. Marquis Classy Sauvignon Blanc and Classy Zinfandel. Ask for Marquis Artisan's Classy Series at your local wine retailer or go to www.marquee.com. From the, from the Mendoza region of Argentina, Marquis Artisan brings you Caligori Wines. Staccato, Malbec Cabernet Sauvignon, Grazioso, Torrantes, Pianissimo, Malbec Rosé, and the Reserve Series, Caligiore's Reserve Malbec, Reserve Syrah, and Reserve Bernarda. Ask your local retailer for the Caligiore wines from Marquee Artisan or go to www.marquee.com. If you want to find out more about me, just Google Stu the Wine Guru. You can find the websites, videos, articles, and shows I'm currently part of. Speaking of articles and reviews, I'm writing wine articles and reviews for Yahoo and the Examiner, so look for those as well. Wine 101 video series that can be viewed on both YouTube or website, my website, so check those out. Okay, so let's go on to uh, where you can go to get great wine and food. My restaurant pick of the week is from the great state of Texas in the city of Frisco and it's called the Fortuna Grill. The 8549 Gaylord Parkway, number 103, Frisco, Texas. If you want amazing authentic Italian cuisine and a great white wine list, do not miss the opportunity to try Fortuna Grill. Great pizzas, pastas, specialty dishes. It's small, it's quaint, it's casual, but it's a great value. Prices ranges from $11 to $30. Call 972-335-1803. Upcoming events for my fellow wine enthusiasts to check out and get to. Will you be in Florida? If so, in Coconut Grove on the 9th and 10th of January is the Taste of the Grove. It's in Peacock Park. All the best Grove restaurants and wine producers come out, so go check it out. This is the premier event for and wine lovers here in Florida. For more information, go to www.thegreattasteofthegrove.com. From Portugal, Marquis Artisan Wines brings you Clemen Vino Verde Reserva. 
Ask for Clemen Vino Verde Reserva at your local wine retailer or go to www.marquee.com. Well, that's our show for tonight. I want to thank everyone for calling in. Perfect. Listen, I have to give you a couple minutes.
I just take it easy.
called about five minutes ago and just holding on for the length that you want to pick up? Is this new? Okay, what happened there? Okay, no problem. I understand. So I'm just going to get, I'm going to get one baking cheeseburger, got medium rare, with cheddar, no lettuce or tomato, two coleslaws, uh, and uh, let me get a uh, fries well done, and a uh, order of cheesecake.
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.